0: Welcome to the American Countryside Podcast. I'm Andrew McRae, host of the daily syndicated radio feature, American Countryside. Heard weekdays on over 100 radio stations and XM channel 147. I travel coast to coast on location to meet the people and places who share fascinating stories of past and present. And the American Countryside Podcast allows you to hear the full interviews with our guests. On this edition of our podcast, I take you to a farm field just outside Clear Lake, Iowa, It was at the Surf Ballroom on the evening of February 2, 1959, that Buddy Holly, the Big Bopper, Richie Valens, and Waylon Jennings had just played a concert. But the night would end in tragedy. It was the event remembered in the first lines of the song Bye-Bye, Miss American Pie, an event that still brings people from around the globe, down gravel roads, to a farm field owned by Jeff Nicholas. That's where he and I stopped and talked about the day the music died. Let's go back to the surf. You kind of mentioned the history of it. It had been here for quite a while or even another location before Buddy Holly comes into the picture.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The The surf ballroom was originally constructed in the early 1930s in Clear Lake and then was uh, burned to the ground uh, in a fire in the late 30s and, and rebuilt and dedicated at
0: its current location on July 1st, 1948. How were they getting such big names in there? Clear Lake's not that big a place, but they'd been getting some big acts for a long time, still do yeah, they really,
1: they really have had quite a storied history. Um, uh, all the big bands, Lawrence Welk and Count Basie, and all the big bands played the, played the surf in the '40s and '50s. It was a, a stop on the midwestern ballroom tours, and I think part of it is it's it's a real special facility, and and part of it is they they were able to draw the crowds. The surf had some uh, uh, tough tough times in the '60s and '70s. And uh, uh, still had a lot of big acts, but they, they, and they and they made some money, but they didn't really seem to have enough money to, to keep the facility up, and and so it went through some tough times in the 70s and 60s, 70s, and 80s actually, uh, but in the 90s, uh, a local f- uh, f- construction family purchased it and completely refurbished it and spent a lot of money on it and and uh, made it exactly made it to look exactly the way it did when it opened in 1948
0: you kind of even were manager for just a little bit well i
1: was in in some of those hard times i was involved in the local uh chamber of commerce and and the surf closed and and the mad hatter had started uh the tributes to buddy holly and richie valens and the big bopper in 1979 and uh those that have become quite significant economically culturally and socially to our community over the years and we were concern at the chamber that we might lose that event. And so uh we put together an agreement with the owners to to manage and to run that event and I said, well if we're going to do this while while I'm present and I'd like to kind of be in charge of it because quite frankly at the time we didn't know whether we were going to make a bunch of money or lose a bunch <laughs> of money. Fortunately it turned out okay. But it was one of those things we were in kind of uncharted territory and and the community came together as a whole, and we had hundreds of volunteers and everybody uh pitched in and and we had a great event
0: You mentioned that you were born the same year this this happened, but being here, did you find that things have? gotten more interest over time it wasn't initially interested doesn't sound like in all this that is correct uh, um the buddy holly uh phenomenon
1: is larger today than it was yesterday and it was larger yesterday than it was the day before uh i i'm i'm a farmer and i grew up picking up rocks and and hoeing beans on this farm and until I went off to college, and, and all, that, all during that time, I did not realize that anything of significance happened at this, at this place. And it wasn't until I went off to college and the Mad Hatter started these tributes to Buddy Holly and Richie and the Bopper uh, that, that I realized, and I think the community began to realize, that really something of real special significance has happened here.
0: Well, you you didn't, or your family didn't own the field at the time, but you can kind of describe what we can see here. You've got a little path that goes out to the actual side, the crash site. Yeah, absolutely.
1: We're out on on the gravel road, and and uh, unfortunately or fortunately, it's raining. Uh, being a farmer, we've had some very timely rains this summer, of which this is one, and, and there's a path out here. And, and virtually every time I come uh, to this farm, there'll be at least a car or two sitting here and people walking out. Uh, there's a, a beaten path out to the uh, to the crash site. It's about a quarter of a mile down a uh, fence row. It's very easy to get to, and uh, always people walking to and fro. Uh, uh, you know that have been out to the crash site. Yeah.
0: Let's go back to that night. You were talking about the plane and, and, and what happened. It was it was pretty late at night.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, um, the guys were on what was called the the winter dance party tour. And uh, those of uh, your listeners that are familiar with weather in the North Iowa area in February, you can understand it was quite cold. And, and the tour group was cutting expenses, and they had an old, dilapidated, broken-down bus. And the, bro- or the bus had broken down several times, and the heater, I think, I believe, was broken the, the, whole, uh, the whole trip. So the guys would actually get their sleeping bags and blankets and lay in the aisle. I, I believe this was just an old school bus. And uh, lay in the aisle and actually cuddle or huddle together to try and keep warm from stop to stop. And Buddy was was getting kind of tired of that, and and so he had he had, his laundry had built up, and he needed to to do some things, and and so he actually chartered a, a plane to to their next stop, and when they got done uh, playing at the surf, uh, Carol Anderson, who was the manager manager at the time, took him out to the airport and put him in the plane. Uh, as we're sitting here now, if it was at night and and it was dark, you could actually see the directional beacon of the airport. My guess is they were in the air maybe a mile and a half, two miles you know at most. The FAA report says that they I believe that they took off at 103 and 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 had impact with the ground at about 106 so they weren't, they, they weren't in the air very long
0: it's interesting today we know immediately but they didn't know till for quite a while till the next morning uh, what had happened
1: yeah that's right and and uh it's interesting too the some of the stories if everybody was at the surf that claims that they were at at the surf that night. i think that i think the capacity of the surf was at least quadruple what it is because it, as the years go by more and more people were at the surf i've even had people tell me that um they after the concert they heard it on the local radio station and they and they drove out here well that's just not the case because uh, they really didn't find out till the next morning and jerry dwyer who owned the the charter service in the airplane realized that they had not reached their destination so he got in in another plane and traced the route that they took off and, and got up in the air and and said he immediately looked down and, and saw the the, uh, the crash site and, and then radioed back to the airport and then they called the sheriff and I believe that was between eight thirty and nine o'clock the next morning.
0: We still really don't know what happened, do we?
1: Why we really don't. Um, most of the movies that portray the evening to be uh, cold and, and snowy and, and blizzardy night, but you talked to a lot of the old-timers that were here that night that lived in Clear Lake then, and they say it really didn't start um, uh, snow until the next morning. The FAA report says that uh, it was pilot error and that the pilot was not familiar with the plane and was and got confused and instead, and looked at some instruments incorrectly, instead of um, rising, he actually flew the plane into, into the ground. He, they say he just got disoriented and flew the plane into the ground. Um, the impact was so severe that it split out some of the seams on some of the guys' leather jackets, and yet they plowed a trench in the frozen soil with one of their wings 500 feet long. So you know I think in today's day and age I think we we would have found out what would have what happened but I don't think the the uh, investigation was quite as, as extensive at the time
0: you mentioned I think it's kind of interesting Waylon Jennings and I think I'd be interested to talk about him coming back and you got to visit with him ask him some questions yeah
1: I did I it was was one of the things that they want that I was manager at the surf everybody said uh Waylon has never been back to the surf since the night he played with Buddy and uh uh, won't come and my comment was always well. He's going to have to tell us no because we're going to invite him So so through our talent agency we uh, invited Waylon and I think he really He said yes to the date before he realized the, the significance of, of where it was But afterwards they told him they said Waylon you remember this is where the surf is and he said yeah He says I do and he said it's time to go back and uh we had just an incredible night with when Waylon come back we had a sold out crowd and uh the weeks preceding it uh we weren't his people were very protective of him and how he was going to feel and react coming to the surf but when when he got there he was very gracious and and very willing and, and to open up and to talk about what happened that night and one particular story, I was a little nervous about asking Waylon, but as he started to warm up and open up, I, I asked him, because I'd always heard that uh, the, the la- his last comment to Buddy, uh, and, and he confirmed that, that they had a coin toss uh, for the last seat on the plane. Richie Valens did not have a seat on the plane, but wanted to go, so he and Waylon flipped a coin, and Waylon lost the toss, of course. And so he and Buddy were joking around as they got in the the, uh, station wagon with Carol Anderson, the manager of the surf, and Buddy yelled to Waylon, saying, I hope the bus breaks down, and Waylon shot back to Buddy and said, I hope hope your plane crashes. And Waylon said, for 10 years, he said, I thought I caused that plane to crash, and he says, that was one of the reasons that I couldn't, I could never come back to the surf. And uh, he said it wasn't until I saw a picture of the crash site in in Life magazine that I that I was able to look and, and kind of begin to deal with, with with some of those things. And and uh, Waylon, I, I was in the band room backstage when Waylon went on uh, stage that night, and everybody in the crowd knew that that was the first time that Waylon had been on that stage since he was there in '59, and it was just electric. And Waylon came on. And before he started to play, and I'm getting goosebumps just relaying this story, he said, I, uh, last time I was here, I was with Buddy Holly, and Buddy had taken me under his wing. He was actually living with Buddy at the time in Maria in New York. And uh, he said, the last time I saw Buddy Holly was right back in that doorway. And he pointed back to it, and he says, there isn't a day that I don't think about Buddy Holly and what he did for me and for my life. And he says, "I'll always love him and thank him." And and he said, "That's all I'm going to say about that." And he went on, played for two hours, and never said another word about it.
0: You still have a lot of people out here you see on this road.
1: Oh, absolutely! Almost, I'm not here at this farm on a daily basis, but any time I am, there's always a car or two, and it's it's always fun. I usually stop and try and visit with with the folks and and to see where they're from. They're people from all over the country and all over the all over the world stop here and it's really kind of a sacred place uh people will say i remember where i was i was in gym i was an eighth grader in gym class and they announced it and i don't know why they would but i doubt they would do that today but they announced it on the pa system uh, that buddy holly had crashed and died and, and all the girls started screaming and started crying and he said it was just it was just unbelievable and it's it's kind of a sacred place people will walk from the road out to the uh out to the crash site in in arm, and arm in arm and in total silence, and it's 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 incredible. It's it's a it's the place where the music died.
0: Jeff still farms this field and allows visitors to walk down the fence line to the spot the plane crashed. It is a peaceful place of corn and soybeans where people come to remember, to remember those who gave us music, but a place where we lost something precious, the place the music died. Thanks for joining me as I travel the countryside in Clear Lake, Iowa. I'm Andrew McCray.